Well, hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Cheeseman, podcast, of course, all about Manchester City, but ostensibly it's a football podcast. So thanks very much for joining us, even if you're not a City supporter. And uh, please share the word everywhere and get as many people listening as possible. We already have people all around the world actually listening. And it's very nice to get the really lovely feedback as well. So if you're a regular listener and you've sent a message of support, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And the same goes to all the people who contribute to the podcast, which is different every week, as is illustrated by our lineup of guests today. But first of all, a big shout out to AMAR Development UK, the sponsors of the podcast. They're the people who are building the, the new development, for example, at the Pyramid in Stockport or just on the M60. If you're local to Manchester, you'll know where that is. A three-level event centre, which has been converted to a, a really stunning-looking building. So uh, thanks to AMAR for their support, which is really appreciated. Next week's podcast, don't want to jump too far ahead, though, at this point, is going to be slightly different. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the podcast. But we're in an international break now. So we'll, I will tell you what's coming up next week a little bit later on. But first, let me introduce you to my guest this week, um, Manchester City legend, um, officially, because he works for the club on a on a weekday, on a match day, I should say, and goes around the Legends Lounge, among other places. So he's got to be a legend, hasn't he? Uh, that is the, the one and only Mr Ian Brightwell. So uh, thanks for joining us here. Always appreciated. Yeah, thanks, Cheesy. Thanks for inviting me. Always a pleasure to come on and, and speak to you. And hi to Will and Adam as well. Yeah, and you've uh, preempted me there because our other two guests are from the Forever Blue squad. They are Will, who is also uh, the the man who puts all this together for us, which is much appreciated. Works tirelessly behind the scenes, and Adam. And there are a couple of Adams that come on. So this is Adam W, who is the prospective journalist who we hope is going to have a career that is going to be far mightier than the one that I've been lucky enough to have. And then I can say I knew him before he was famous. So um, oh, maybe he's getting famous now anyway so um so not going so bad <laughs> making a living making a living <laughs> good 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 to know so let's start with you Ian um obviously uh City had a uh, an epic four-all draw against Chelsea last time out um what did you make of that because my own view was that you know having watched City comfortably beat teams recently uh, watching a game where there was proper jeopardy and it was proper end to end was pulsatingly exciting did you enjoy it oh yeah it was a fantastic game of football uh, i think pep made com- comment on that it's it's all about the football and it was a fantastic game certainly for the neutral to watch and it was an exciting game it was um before the game, I, I didn't think it was going to be a, a stroll. A lot of people would seem to think, you know, it's going to be a stroll. We've scored a lot of goals of late. Um, but Chelsea are still a good side. They've got some very, very good players. Uh, but I thought uh, but, but our lads went out and they, they, they gave 100%. And we were unlucky at the end just to uh, not quite uh, nick the three points. But in terms of a, a football match, I thought it was a, a fantastic advert and a spectacle for, for any football Fan in the world. It was uh, probably the best game from a neutral's point of view this season that I've seen. Ironically, uh, Chelsea, less than a week earlier, had also been involved in a an end-to-end open game that might at that point have been described as the best game of the season so far. Um, do you think Chelsea played too open and City played too open? And that was, not that I'm complaining, don't get me wrong, but that, that made it what, what it was on, on Sunday at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think that's how football should be played. Um, being City fans, we, we're used to seeing a lot of teams, certainly when they come to the Etihad, they just sit back, they get 11 behind the ball, and it's really hard to, to break down. And sometimes it can actually be quite boring to watch because we're just trying to pick them off and, and break them down. And, you know, nine times out of ten, we do that. So it's quite refreshing to, to go and watch a game against a, another top side and... Um, you know, it was end-to-end. You, you couldn't really call it. I was hoping we had nicked it at the end, but it was uh, it, it was not to be, unfortunately. But some of the football that was played, um, I thought was fabulous. It's, uh, it is a pleasure to watch. We were talking before, cheese, weren't we, before the uh, podcast opened, opened here, you know, how lucky we are to be able to watch such fantastic football week in, week out. And um, anyone who's... A, City supporter, if they don't appreciate it, they should because uh, we're watching an um, incredible, incredible team. 
Well, and, and just to repeat what we were saying, really, which is we're in an international break now. And when you compare the quality of football that City are playing at the moment, and to be fair, one or two of the other top teams in club football, um, it's so much superior to me to what I was, what I grew up on, really, watching the World Cup in awe of the World Cups. And now I look at the World Cup and the European Championships and I think, well, the quality is not, just not as good. I mean, I don't want to single out, you know, players or have a go, but United signed a player from, you know, the, the recent World Cup that I thought looked really good in the World Cup. But now he's in the Premier League. He doesn't look as special. Now, it's not me having to go to a United player. I don't mean it in that way. But, but what I mean is that I've always said to people, you know, don't don't judge a player and what he does in the World Cup anymore. Judge him what are they doing in the big Premier League games because the standard is so much higher. So, by contrast, watching England, I mean, City had, had trounced England, wouldn't they? Yeah, for sure they would. That's uh, that, that's a definite. And you look at the international games and the, I, I think the teams play too cautiously. Um, I don't really watch that much international football, similar to you, Cheesy, now. But when I do, we, we've got some wonderful attacking players in the England in the England lineup, and notably, there's a few City players in that as well. But we don't seem to be able to use those attacking plays. And I'm going back, you know, even to the Lampard Gerrard years as well. He, even then, and Rooney, and we we don't use them to our to their strengths. And that's that's sad to say from an international point of view. Because if you've got good attacking players, and City, you know, personify that perfectly. You know, Pep's outlook on football it's yes we we attack when we've got it but when we defend we defend but you'd hardly call Pep like cautious he's a master tactician don't get me wrong but you know he knows at the end of the day he can or his team can, can score goals and at the same time when they do lose a ball they can get it back really quick and that is the excitement for me uh, when, when I watch City and uh, you know we've got the arguably the best club side in the world um, like you say, I think you could pitch it in against any international team and City would win that too. And a good example of that, which you spoke to me earlier about, is John Stones, who fits perfectly now into Pep's system, but put him in an England team where the rest of the players aren't on the same wavelength and suddenly he isn't the same player. That's not a criticism of him. That's just the way England comp play compared to how City play, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you could see him in the in the World Cup there. You could see him. He, he was almost begging the, the midfielders to come and receive the ball like Rodri would or, um, or, or Bernardo or, or any of the, the City players. And he's almost telling them how to, how, how to run the game rather than the manager... Who's, who's sitting on the sidelines there, and it does it's, it doesn't re reflect how good of a player. And we're just talking about John Stones at the moment, but it doesn't reflect how good uh, John Stones is. And Phil Foden's in a similar similar position as well when he when he plays for England, and they don't seem to be on the the same wavelength. And it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's for me international football isn't what it used to be. It's it, it's a boring type of football. Well, let's bring the other two lads in, uh, Will and Adam. Um, Adam, obviously, you heard what Ian's got to say there and about, first of all, City generally uh, and the t game against Chelsea. So you can talk about that or you can talk about you know the, the difference in quality between City and international football. The floor's yours, Adam. Start with international football. Um, yeah, the, the, quali the quality definitely is lower. I completely agree. I think it's just a different type of football. Um and maybe one that most people don't prefer, but um, I think those people who appreciate it for what it is can can enjoy it. Um, it is more cautious. Even that that great Spain team that won the World Cup in 2010 hardly conceded a goal. Um, I think no matter how attacking your forward players are, you've got to be still solid. It's a tournament competition, and maybe that's why City struggled so much in the Champions League. That the they weren't a cup team. Cup teams are a bit more solid at the back just like we were in the Champions League last year, a bit more solid. Um, so I understand why it's a bit more cautious, considering we are you are trying to win cup competitions rather than league titles. So I understand it for what it is. I, I really enjoy watching England. 
more so because I get to watch it with my mates who might be United fans or Liverpool fans and we all get to support the same team. So I think I pref- I enjoy it on a fan level more than watching great, you know, great performances and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of the performance uh, yesterday, I I didn't think we were great. We were giving the ball away way too much at the back. It just seemed like mistake after mistake. And that led to a really open game, a really exciting game that the neutrals would have loved. I pretty much enjoyed by the end of it, but it shouldn't have been allowed to have got like that. And if City play to the best of their abilities, there's no way it would have been so open. I think the fact that it was box to box was partly due to the fact we were giving it away in silly areas in transition and they were taking it on quickly forward with Sterling, who had a great game. And uh, we know how quick their forward lads are, so we just played into their hands a little bit. So, yeah, I was disappointed with the way we played uh, from the back. The midfield wasn't as, as tight. Rodri was sloppy at times. Um, so, yeah, I was a bit disappointed, but the forward lads seemed to, uh, to get a few away, so that wasn't too bad, uh, albeit due to probably penalty and some errors, etc. But, yeah, I was, I was disappointed with the performance, but sometimes we lose those games. So, I was quite happy to get a point out of it at the end, even though on 91 minutes or whatever, I was uh, I, well, obviously thinking we were going to win. But um, with, what, 70 minutes to go, um, I was happily taking the draw, so I'll take it now as well. <laughs> what I would argue is, as it was being so end-to-end, was because both teams were absolutely going for it. They both desperately wanted to win. City, we know, tried to win every game. They never played for a single uh, draw in a single game. You know, they, they believe they can win any game and very, very rarely draw. But to give Chelsea some credit, after they'd won 4-1 against Tottenham and with Pochettino trying to now build a new momentum, they never once backed off. They never thought, or it never appeared to me anyway, that they were trying to hold what they had and just, just played out. They kept on coming. And when both teams do that, you end up with this end-to-end game. But obviously... The question would be about defences. Um, Will, your view on the game generally? I mean, was it too open? Did, did you get excited by it? Should we be worried about City conceding four or just glorying the fact that there were eight goals and City scored four away from home? Is your glass half empty or half full? I must admit, I finished the game last night really disappointed. It almost felt like a loss when you can see the goal right in the last minute, especially to an ex-youth player that you've just let go. You can just see the, the headlines being written. Um, I think I've mellowed out a bit more today. You know, you'd always take a point at Stamford Bridge. But I think no matter how well you're playing or how well they are playing, I think it's just one of those places where you're always going to struggle to have complete control. I think even the past couple of games, that we, we've, we've had quite a good record against Chelsea recently, but it's all been 1-0 as we very rarely been in complete control even when Chelsea have been at a really low point they always seem to up the game against us especially to rib us about the Champions League final um, yeah like I say I'm a bit when you, when you take a lead so late into the game I think you almost feel like you've won it at that point so to to concede an equaliser almost feels like a loss and Chelsea was cert- certainly celebrating like they've won so I think it meant more to them than it did to us. Um, but I thought, I mean, you, you were praising it before, but I think we were a bit sloppy, really. A lot, of, All of Chelsea's goals came from our mistakes, really. Like Adam said, we lost the ball a lot, which is why I think Chelsea felt like they could attack us. So maybe we're missing Stones, maybe we're missing De Bruyne. Um yeah, something wasn't right yesterday for me. Obviously, we're going to talk about Cole Palmer. Um, and he was a City youngster who came through the ranks, a bit like you, Ian. He, you know, he started off at City very early on, although I've no doubt many people will have seen the social media pictures of him wearing a United shirt when he was younger. And, 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 and I remember reporting on uh, him playing for City's EDS team or you know under 21 team and youth team and praising him and saying what a great prospect he was and even as I was tweeting that out I was having City fans coming back to me saying you do know he's a red don't you and that was long before he'd made City's first team or that particular 
picture appeared, but you, you can answer this better than anybody. I mean, I know that you're a, a, a blue through and through these days, Ian, but when you were growing up in the, you know, the youth set up at City and playing alongside Stevie Redmond and um, Andy Inchcliffe and all the rest of it, I'm sure you weren't all from birth blues. Does that make any difference? Should that make any difference? Just before we talk about Cole Palmer as a player, but in terms of his background, should that and did that make a difference to you when you were young? No, it didn't. I mean, I was a City supporter, but um, the example there, and you've mentioned one of them, was Steve Redmond. And Steve, born in Liverpool, Scouser th through and through, massive Liverpool fan, never stopped going on about Liverpool, who back in the sort of 80s and 90s, they were the, the, the top side then. Um, but from Steve's point of view, he never let that. You, you could never say that he he didn't give hundred percent for City. Um, as soon as he got that that blue shirt on, or as soon as he was training, he was he was hundred uh, percent uh, committed to the football club. So I don't really think, from a player's point of view, that it makes any difference at all. So um, if if Steve had been around now, and well, he is around now, I don't mean that disrespectfully, <laughs> but you know, if he was a, a player now. And social media is what it is. No doubt a picture would have emerged of you know, Redo in a Liverpool shirt and there'd have been a, a section of the City supporters who just would have hated that and beaten him over the head with it. Is that right? Should should that happen? I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking sides here. I'm just observing from a distance and saying... It's easy to to have a go at a player when you you know they've been. I mean, we've seen Erling Haaland. Uh, his dad is a, is a Leeds fan. He's admitted that he's been on on my shows in the past, and 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 maybe if we really dug into it, maybe Erling Haaland's real heart is at Leeds United. But it doesn't matter to anybody really because he's pulling trees up for City. So what's happened to Cole Palmer and what might have happened to Stevie Redmond would have been when they leave or when they don't perform, which is an unfair stick to hit with them, hit them with really, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who they support because most most players aren't lucky enough to play for the for the team that they uh, supported. That, that's probably 99.9% of players aren't lucky enough to do that. And I was lucky enough to do that and play for most of my career. So I do think it's unfair. I think uh, social media, and you're right, it's got um, it's got a lot, lot I say, lot to answer for. It's it's difficult uh, because information can be spread instantly, and if someone's got a gripe, it doesn't necessarily have to be a a city fan that's that's saying it because you, you don't really know they could say they're a city fan and then um, start having a go at um, having a go at City or Cole Palmer or or whoever. So I don't think it's difficult, isn't it? Because it, you, you won't get rid of social media now. Um, we would, I'd say, lucky in our day. Uh, there was there was none of that. You just get you know the reporters like like yourselves, and you know again ninety nine point nine percent of you know and yourself included. You know you're honest people, and you'd report what you, you'd see. Um, but with social media, you just don't know what can be put on it in a. In a way, I do feel sorry for the players today. Um, having said that, they don't have to go on social media. You know, that it is a, a choice. It is a personal choice. Um, but going back to your original point, does it matter what team you support? I really don't think it does now. I must admit, I, I'm obviously not that profile. I'm not a, a player. Um, but uh, I did a charity bike ride when I was at the BBC where I cycled from Macclesfield round nine of the Greater Manchester, at the time, Football League clubs. And at each uh, stop, I wore the shirt of that particular club. Imagine if I was a footballer and somebody took to pick a picture of me in a Berry shirt and a Rochdale shirt and an Oldham Athletic shirt and a Macclesfield shirt. I didn't wear a United shirt, by the way, when I went to Old Trafford. That was the one I wouldn't do. I just wore a Children in Need or a Sport Relief shirt. But nevertheless, there, there must be eight pictures of me I mean, wearing different shirts somewhere on the internet and so see he's not really a City fan he's a very fan which just shows it can be a little bit ridiculous but let's come back to the point now of Cole Palmer what about you two Adam and Will um, Cole Palmer first of all were you excited when he was a City player what did you think when Pep sold him? Obviously, I'm sure particularly Adam will have heard what Pep had to say at the press conference on Friday before the game when he was asked about should he have let him go and everything. And what do you think now of of Palmer and his performance at Chelsea and, and being a City opponent? 
I was really excited to see him come through. Um, watched him in a few EDS games, although I don't profess to follow the EDS that much, but she knew about him. And then I was at the Wickham Wanderers game in the League Cup at home um, to watch him score his first goal. We saw him cut in from the wing and, and, and slot it into the bottom corner and celebrating our corner at 1-1-1 I was that day. It was it was a really, really great goal. And sort of we saw it as his breakthrough moment. And then obviously the opportunity came for him last season where he was allowed into the team. But I was really disappointed with how Pep used him. Obviously he was used as that spare man. So he was the man to come on on the left-hand side. But from what I'd seen of the EDS and what I'd seen at his best, he seems best be on the right or, or down the middle. So every time I saw him on the left, I saw him struggle a lot. And then all of a sudden, then everyone that watches him you've seen him for the first team, but not necessarily knows much about him, would be going, oh, he's nowhere near good enough. And then by the end of the season, I'd sort of agreed and thought, well, no, he isn't. He wasn't good enough, certainly not on that side. But then I was really hoping that after the after Mahrez moved on in the summer, that he'd get the opportunity to play on the right-hand side more. And that would give him an opportunity to show what his you know real ability is uh, and what, what, he, what he could show. Um but then, obviously, he leaves, and I was confused as to why he'd left, all that sort of stuff. But then, obviously, Pep mentions on Friday that Cole had decided that he wanted to leave, and fair play, because I'm sure Pep will have told him at the start of last season that he'll get loads of opportunities and stuff. But then he didn't get as many as he quite would have liked. So that, that the, the relationship was probably a bit fractured after last season, and he clearly feels that he's ready to play at the top level. So... You know who can blame him for wanting to move on. I would. I'm really gutted. I, I wanted him to stay and play on that right a little bit this season, but I can understand why he'll go to a team where he knows the, the development manager was. You know, used to be City's head of academy, was it or something like that? Um, and he knows sort of the hierarchy that's moved over to there recently, and he saw that young lads were getting an opportunity there. So why not move? And you know, it's proved to be a great decision so far. He's he's playing really well. He's wore the captain's armband. He's taking the penalties. You know, you could have, who could have imagined that? And there's no way going to get that opportunity at City, um, just because of the sheer quality of players that we have at the moment. So, I'm really happy for him that he's doing so well. I'd much rather him, obviously, not have scored the penalty yesterday, but um, I'd rather it be him than anyone else. And every time Chelsea score, I'd rather it be him than anyone else. I want to see him do really, really well at Chelsea without Chelsea, obviously, taking any trophies off us. But um, I'm really happy that he's doing well. Gutted that he'd left uh, in summary because I do think he will become a really good player over the years. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's very uh, that's very honest of you to say that because I bet a lot of City fans, the last thing they wanted was to see Cup Armour score against City. Um, but, you know, you're always uh, dead honest, Adam. Um what strikes me, I don't know Cole Palmer's personality, I don't know him personally, but he strikes me as being a little bit of, maybe Maverick's a strong word to use or an unfair word to use, but somebody who's you know, got his own strong personality and, and definitely wants to do what he wants to do. He's took the gamble. He seems to have been given a free role by Pochettino at Chelsea to play pretty much anywhere he wants. And I thought he you know, was their best player against City, I'll be honest with you. And he's, he's clearly got a big personality. So you've, you've heard Adam, what he's had to say, Will. You know, do you share that view that you were delighted for him? Are you one of the City fans who's thinking, the last person I wanted to score that goal was Cole Palmer? Um, yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as soon Diaz jumped in and the referee blew the whistle, my first thought was Cole Palmer's going to score this penalty. So... <laughs> I would, it's against anyone else. I think I'd be pleased for him. I, I, I completely agree with Adam. I really wanted him to do well at City, um, but I'm glad he's doing well somewhere else. <laughs> Although I must, last time I was on the podcast was just as the transfer went through, and I said it was the right decision to let him go. And I think I still stand by that because he wouldn't have got the game time with us. Uh, I, I don't see him starting over either Foden, Grealish, or Doku. Um, but then to go to a team like Chelsea and almost instantly become the star man just shows maybe what he could have been. Um, but, you know, obviously Doku's proving what a sort of player he can be as well, and I think it's unfair to compare the two, but I think I'd rather have Doku as it stands. Um, but maybe we'll live to regret selling him more. 
maybe willing to regret at least selling him for what might be considered so cheap. Um, yeah, like I say, completely agree with Adam. He seems seems like it could have been right for City, but evidently Pep fought differently. What do you make, Ian, of, of Pep's decision? I mean, he was asked about it on Friday to let, first of all, uh, Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko joined Arsenal, who then became City's main title rivals. And although Chelsea aren't title rivals just yet, he's now sort of done the same thing. He's let Sterling go to Chelsea, and now he's let Cole Palmer go there. And if them two become big title contenders and, you know, heaven forbid, actually beat City to the title... Everybody, all the media are going to ram that, that down the throat of Pep Guardiola. But he was quite stoic about it. It was sort of, you know, once a player goes, who am I to tell him where to go or what to do? How do you feel about the whole way Pep's handling it? And it I know we're reluctant to uh, criticise or even question the, the genius that is Pep, but what, what's your view? I think Pep's done the right thing because having been in, in dressing rooms in a different era... Um, if you get a, I'm not saying Cole Palmer was a bad apple, but if you get people that don't want to be part of that team, and it looks like that Cole, you know, felt he should be playing and he wasn't going to get in the team, um, the manager needs to move them on. Now, if that means moving on top players, and you mentioned Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus, and of course Cole just gone, then so be it. He, I think. Manage, management now and, and coaching now is way different. They, they can't rule by fear now because the players on such big wages. You know, it doesn't really matter um, if, if the players are playing or not. Um, so the manager has to manage them really, really carefully. And if you haven't got, you know, a squad of is it 25 players now that are all singing off the same hymn sheet, you, you can't have that. You need every single one wanting to be there and wanting to play because... Um, you know, it can cause so many problems within the dressing room and it, it can soon change around. Just look across the road at Old Trafford there. I think there's there's that going on there. Previously, Sir Alex was, he, he was a master at it, like Pep. If players, he didn't care if players, no matter who they were, if if they wanted to leave or, or they weren't, you know, pulling on the, the same rope and wanting to play for Manchester United and give 100% for Manchester United. Pep does it with City. He got rid of them. And it didn't matter how big of a, a name you are. And that's, for me, one of um, Pep's genius points because he doesn't stand for it. And he's... Yeah, but and he's whilst, whilst, whilst what you're saying, I agree with what you're saying. I'm sure everybody would agree with what you're saying, Ian. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there's a difference between saying he don't want to play for us and we'll let him go and it's time for him to move on and all the rest of it. But should Pep have had some influence, it's very laudable for him to say what he does, which is whatever's best for the player, I will support that. If that's where he wants to go, let him go there. But there's not a bit, somebody in the club, even if it's not Pep saying, OK, you've made the decision that Cole Palmer's going, that Alexander Zinchenko's going, that Raheem Sterling's going but they can't go to one of our title rivals. They can go to Real Madrid, they can go to Bayern Munich, they can go to Barcelona or whatever, or, or it, if it was a mid-table Premier League team, but not one of the big four or five that are challenging. Is that is that Should that not be stopped? Pep is so confident in his ability as a coach and a manager. Um, he's probably got two or three players lined up for that position, you know, going into the future, whether it's in the youth team or his, uh, or his scouting network or his recruitment, he probably knows that he can go out and, and get a, a better player than Cole um, or what he thinks is a better player than Cole to replace him if need be. I don't think he would have let him go if he, if he thought that he was going to be, you know, a, a, a massive, massive player. I'm talking like Kevin De Bruyne, I don't think he would have let him go for it if it was someone like Kevin in his younger years, Kevin's young, younger years. Uh, but I say Pep's got so much confidence in himself and as a club and his uh, staff around him. And that's one thing City's are masters at. They've got a brilliant recruiting system. They're not prepared to go out and uh, over overpay for players. They've they've made that that clear. And with uh, is it Harry Kane? You know, we just fired at the time, said, no, 
150 million quid. That's far too much. We're not paying that, et cetera, et cetera. We held out for a year, 18 months, and we've got the best striker on the planet now. And I'm sure that, that Pep and the team, they've got uh, players lined up to to replace every single one of the players in, in the team because it's a... You know, it's an ongoing, ongoing business and an ongoing. He, he you know, I, I don't want to say this. When when he does eventually go, he'll want City to continue in the same vein as as him. And I hope City do that and have the same philosophies, and they they get someone in, and hopefully it'll be a long, long time before that that has to come. But it will will come come to us one day. All right, let me bring in a different subject matter now, which is. Um, the left-back situation, City's left-back. Um, Sergio Gomez is the the one that I suppose you would recognise as an out-and-out left-back. I know he likes to get forward, but he's the out-and-out left-back. But he, he's very rarely getting a game. Um, it's either Nathan Ake or Josko Gavardio. And Ake was exposed a little bit in one of the big games recently for pace. Uh, Gavardio, I know it was only one mistake in a game, but made a mistake that led to a goal at Chelsea. Um, do City need a left back? Is that something you know? Should they in January be going out and sign a specialist left back um, who who should come straight into the team? I don't know if Adam or Will have got a view on that before we uh, we ask Ian again. Go on, Adam. What what's your thoughts on that? I wouldn't because I really do like the idea of our. What, what, whatever it is, four centre-halves or three centre-halves and one in the middle. I do like that system. Obviously, that led us to to win the treble last year. Um, Ake was absolutely brilliant all last season. And I still do think he's brilliant. I think, of course, every now and again, you're gonna there's going to be a moment where you get exposed and people might look at you and think, oh, he's not good enough. But nine times out of ten, Ake wins those duels really well. And he, he seems to be brilliant in those 1v1 actions, when you do really get exposed when it's three at the back, you do have to be really aggressive and be out there quick. And you've got to make sure that you're winning those duels, otherwise you're so exposed. Um, but I figured last season he was brilliant there. Um, I was so impressed with him. I've, I've wanted him to do well, obviously, ever since he came. Um, and I just really think that he's great there. So when he's back, he'd be my starting player in that position. I'm yet to be convinced by... Guardiol as a defender, I think with the ball he's great and, you know, he can probably tuck inside and, and play forward really well, um, as well as Laporte could do, you know, and he, he was probably our best ball player centre-half. But can he defend? I don't know. It's like Laporte probably wasn't the greatest centre-half in the world either and I can't see Guardiol being either. He's being exposed a little bit by this system at the minute, by the looks of it. But it might take him a little while to adjust, you know. People can't just switch over and, and jump into Pep's system straight away, as we've seen with every player. So I'm hoping that it'll just click into play. But I'd much rather us stick with the system that we've got and make sure the players that we have adapt to it, or in, in, in our case, case, just return back to fitness and, and get back up to form, than try and rip up the master plan that did so well last year and bring in a left-back who, like Gomez, will probably be quite attacking and will leave us open. Um like Cancelo did many times. A lot of people can point to the fact that we've not had a proper solid left-back for years as being the reason why we never won the Champions League. We never got a treble before. So just to bring another one of those in or try and bring in Gomez, who is, looks a great winger but not a great fullback, I just think that's a bit counterproductive. Who knows, Pep might think of something amazing in six months and we'll be sat here thinking, oh... You know, I can't believe we played before centre-backs. We're not going back to that again. But as it is at the minute, I think it works really well. It gives us good stability and allows us to attack with attacking wingers like Doku. You can have one or two really creative players with three centre-halves and one defender tucking in. I, I really like that. It gives us a solid base. The one thing I would say is that on, on the right-hand side with Kyle Walker, City will never be exposed for pace. Yet on the left-hand side, where Ake and Gvardiol are, principally anyway, um, we could be and are sometimes exposed for pace. Now, in the games against the likes of Bournemouth and um, Young Boys of Switzerland and Red Star Belgrade and, and even Leipzig, um, I don't think that's really going to be an issue. And I think you're right, Adam, in what you're saying about you know the the, the intelligence of the defence. To paraphrase what you said, uh, but 
in terms of raw pace, which is what the big teams that face City try to exploit, because they know City are going to dominate possession. That is the one slight concern that I've got, that down that side, Doku doesn't track back as much as possibly he could do. That might come with time. That um, uh, Grealish, when he's playing on that side, is not not really a, a tackler. Or a, I know he comes back now and again, but he hasn't got pace to come back. And that that's where my worry is. Is that a worry for you, Will? You know, that, that that's my point about getting a specialist left back. Not necessarily a left back in the very old-fashioned, traditional sense, but somebody like Kyle Walker on the other side, who has, yes, a defensive mind, but also has that pace. I think... I think you're right. At the moment, it's an area where we are being deliberately targeted. Um, a lot of the opponent's play seems to get aimed towards there. I think I've noticed them even kicking towards there at, at kickoffs. Um, I think if if you were to clone Kyle Walker and make him left-footed, would you start both of them at the same time? Um, I probably would, but then I wouldn't have them both doing the same roles. So I think it's 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 a tricky one. I, I agree with Adam when he says, you know, who's to argue with Pep and say that we need a left back when we won the treble without one and we won the treble with a system that relied on on centre backs rather than wing backs. Um, I think maybe as more of a plan B, which I think Sergio Gomez was, but I don't think he's up to scratch. Uh, nothing against the guy. Um, he just. He doesn't seem as solid. Uh, he's got a good cross on him, but again, he, he doesn't seem as um, cutthroat in the in the in the boxing and around the danger area either. So, I'd, in in terms of a, a plan B or a a backup, something like that, possibly we might need one. But then it only means another player gets dropped. So, you know, if we buy another defender who's not playing out of a Kanji. Diaz, Stones, somebody's got to get dropped, and I think all the players that we currently have are are world class. So I don't see an immediate need to to get in somebody for higher money anyway. I believe we're being linked with a young Argentinian left back uh, future prospect, but apart from that, I'd say I'm happy with the squad and the, the tactics as well. As a player who played in every position, Ian, right back, left back. You didn't play in goal, I don't think, but you played pretty much everywhere else. You will have a unique perspective on the value of a left-back and the speciality of that position, although Adam's spot on in what he's saying about you know the, the versatility and the way that City play is not your traditional back four with two specialist full-backs and two central defenders. But still, what, what are your thoughts? Does City need speed on that left? I agree with the lads. I, I don't think there's any need to get um, a specific left back um, purely for the reasons that they both both said. Um, Pep's got this unique ability to be able to to play players in so-called out of position and um, he can slot players in there. And is it Will, Will just argued there quite correctly, you know, if he, if he cloned... Kyle Walker, would, could you play him the same team as a left-back? And I don't think you could. Um, and also Adam said about the, you know, defenders should be able to defend. I mean, yes, they should. And that is, first and foremost, their their job. The The modern game has changed where you, you've got to be, as a defender, you've got to be a lot more comfortable, a lot better on, on the ball when, when you're playing in, in possession. But you have got to be able to defend. If And if... Like Gomez, if he's going wandering off and not getting back, that's not defending. You might as well just play a winger. And uh, at least Pep knows, you know, whether it's three or four at the back, if they all can defend, no matter who he plays there. They all can uh, defend as traditional uh, defenders, as well as they're also comfortable on the ball. So, no, I don't think there's any need to uh, go and spend money in that department now. No curiosity, by the way. I never saw you playing goal. Have you ever played in goal, Ian? No, I haven't. I played every. You're correct in. I played every outfield position in the first team uh, for the club, but I never got put in goal. It was either in the early days, Steve, the keeper had to go off because it was only two subs originally then, and one of them, or oh, it wasn't usually a goalkeeper. Uh, so Steve Redmond used to go in. Uh, Nigel Gleghorn. I remember Nigel going in uh, a couple of times when uh, Andy Dibble got injured. 
Um, but then as time went on, the uh, Niall Quinn, he went uh, went in goal and he saved a penalty, if you, if you remember, yeah. in uh, Derby County. Um, but no, I, I never played in goal. Uh, Tommy Booth, the, the great Tommy Booth, he always tells a great story about when he came and came on after Big Joe Corrigan got sent off. Uh, the ball came across and Tommy, instead of catching, he headed the ball out, forgetting that he could pick the ball up. So uh, uh, City won that day. They won 1-0. So Tommy Booth has always been big Alex Williams and and Joe Corrigan. He's got 100% record in goal for Manchester City, 100% clean sheets, which, of course, winds Joe and Alex up. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. The one and only Tommy Booth, we should say. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to go into rumours too much here, although I know Adam likes rumours. Uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth here, but I know you like a bit of transfer speculation, Adam. Yeah. Um, but I I, I, uh, I noticed this week for the first time that there was the odd hint of Kevin De Bruyne being targeted by the Saudi league, you know, and that... Uh, 60 million would be the sort of figure and you know that there's been these little rumblings that since it's taken him so long to get fit again you know does Pep sort of think right okay we need to replace him long term so maybe maybe is this so I suppose the question is is now the time because it looks like he's going to miss the next three big league games uh, Liverpool, Tottenham and Villa um, you know and we've coped without him is now the time to to, to say Thank you, Kevin. Here's your statue next to the others. And, uh, you know, let, let, let you go and make your, your retirement money over in Saudi. What do you think? Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. And I don't think he'd do that either. I think there was talk about offers coming in from Saudi in the summer, wasn't there? And I think De Bruyne, from the quotes and stuff that I've seen and the videos, he loves playing football at a high level so much that I don't think he would be able to go over there and play football and be happy. I just I just couldn't see that at all. You know, obviously he's not a big ego who who's loves his flash cars and all that sort of stuff, loves being pampered and, and would love to go over to Saudi Arabia for that reason. And the football isn't looking great. I mean, you know, Stockport are getting higher attendances than um, quite a lot of the Saudi teams at the minute. So he could be down in the eighth tier or well, the fourth tier, whatever they are. Um, even even my town Warrington gets uh, some some higher higher uh, games than they do. Um, so I I just don't see any world where he goes there at all, uh, and I don't I don't think he should do for for many years. I think it'll be up to him when he leaves, <laughs> rather than it being down to Pep. <laughs> Pep's being very cautious about bringing him back. He was asked about him on Friday as well, and said we're not rushing him and everything. You know how long the city wait now? You know and and. Do any of you have a fear that Kevin De Bruyne is not going to be the same player when he comes back? Because he was a he was a box to box room. I mean, he had loads of energy, drove up and down the pitch. In fact, there are games I can remember when he was fully fit, when it felt like he was carrying the team on his back, almost on his own. Surely he's not going to be able to play like that again. I think he'll definitely be if when he does come back, he'll definitely be a lot more sort of nervous. Um, I even thought on the first game of the season he got injured after five minutes I think on the first game of the season I, I wouldn't have started him I'd have given him a few more weeks off considering the injury he got in the Champions League final um, it was almost inevitable really that something bad was going to happen within the first couple of games just for the fact that we were it felt like we were rushing him back when we didn't need to uh, you know if we'd have just given him two, two extra weeks at the start of the season he'd probably be playing all these important games um, I think I believe he's 32 now, 33 coming up this year. Um, he's getting on. Um, I mean, is it time to maybe start thinking about a deeper role for him? Um, like you say, and he's, he's especially with the injury, but maybe with his age coming up as well, he's he's going to struggle to be that box to box midfielder that that ran the show that we knew sort of four or five years ago. Maybe it is time. I'd definitely keep him. I wouldn't sell him for 100, 150 million. I wouldn't sell him, but I'd maybe start thinking about dropping him deeper and give, giving him, making the team less reliant on him. 
after this year, he's got one year left on his contract. And the figure that was being banded around, albeit in the transfer speculation, was only 60 million because of the fact that he would only have one year to go on his contract. Uh, Ian, you've probably got more of an insight, well, you have got more of an insight to, to what those numpties have because we've not played the game. We haven't had injuries. Well, we've had injuries, but you know, not, not that would affect our lives, so to speak. You're a footballer. You, you've had injuries in your career. When you come, I don't know whether you've had the same thing that Kevin's got or whether you even know exactly what Kevin's got, but what, what was it like for you when you came back from an injury? Was, was there an anxiety? Was there a fear? Was there a, you know, were you being advised not to play like you did before and change your game? How does all that work? No, um, and technology and um, and methods have moved on as well. So Kevin will be getting the, the best treatment, you know, in the world. Uh, no doubt. So if it's uh, if it is his hamstring, I'm 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 sure he'll be able to get back. And they will not rush him this time. I'm I'm certain of that. They won't rush him. And going back to what we or what you were saying about the Saudi Arabian um, consortium or whoever it is is going to buy him. I and we talked about it earlier. If if Pep was going to sell him. I think that was the only place he'd let him to go to. He would not let him go to Chelsea or Liverpool or any big club. He he just wouldn't do that because he knows Kevin De Bruyne is is that you know special player and he could not risk that. So he again is an exception where Pep wouldn't let him go to a, a rival club, but I do think that he would let him go uh, to Saudi Arabia. But as Adam said, it's when Kevin De Bruyne wants to leave. Not, I don't think um, Pep, of course, will have a, a say in. And but I, in terms of when he comes back to play, and I think I think that he, you know, he's still young enough. I know he's 32, 33, but he'll be getting the best treatment, and he'll come back actually a, um, a stronger player. I, I do believe that, especially with all the, the modern uh, technology and the modern methods, as I uh, spoke about earlier on, and. Um, he, he's another, you know, if, if we've got Kevin De Bruyne to come back, you know, maybe it'll be uh, late this year, early New Year. That's a fabulous addition. And, and hopefully he'll be fresh and we've got him for three, four months, five months and um, going into the, uh, hopefully the Champions League, the big Champion League uh, knockout stages. So I think in a way it's a, it's a bonus. And I do think that he'll come back and he'll be strong when he comes back. Did you ever have a hamstring pull in? Uh, only later on in my career. Um, so I'd have been probably 35, 36 when it, when it happened. And, you know, it was at the time for me, it was probably six, seven weeks before I got back playing. Um, but at that stage of my career, it, you know, I was playing more so at the back. I was playing as a, as a sweeper. So the actual pace, my um, pace, which I'd used a lot when it was to my advantage in younger or certainly the early days in my career, it didn't really affect me because I was more reading the game because I was an experienced player playing, like I say, in a sweeper's type of role. Um, but, you know, it's if you're doing it at an early age, remember Michael Owen, when he really pulled his hamstring, he was never the same player again. When after he pulled his hamstring, I think he, was at, he might have been at Newcastle when he first did it really bad. Um, and he never really got back to his, and he, he had a lot of problems after that. But I think with with Kevin, it doesn't it doesn't look as bad a, an injury because if it is his hamstring, I'm presuming it's his hamstring, because when he did do it, it wasn't it was a it was a slow burn. If he'd have really snapped it, he'd have been off. He'd have been on the floor. He'd have had to been carried off or or stretched off. Where it wasn't that, he did walk off the pitch. Um, Unless it's a different type of injury, we don't know. I mean, a lot of hamstring injuries are related to your back. You know, you're getting referred pain down into your hamstrings and your calves. So maybe it's his back and maybe they're not, uh, or may, maybe City don't want to divulge in the exact nature of the injury. Um, but it's old stuff that can be cured. And I, I think just from the nature of looking of how he did injure himself, that the ham, if it is hamstring, it isn't as bad as it could be, put it that way. 
Well, fingers crossed that he returns in the non too distant future because we're all big admirers of uh, the the wonderful footballer that Kevin De Bruyne is. Um, off the pitch, there is one little subject I wanted to bring in before we finish the the podcast by looking ahead to these three games that are coming up briefly. But um, I, I was told by somebody who'd been uh, you know tipped off by an insider, shall we say, that uh, there are plans afoot. Um, that when you go to a game, I don't know how imminent this is, you'll be able to point your phone, your smartphone, at a player on the pitch in front of you, and uh, presumably with the City app in, in working together with it, and you'll be able to see what that player has, uh, what his heart rate is, um, how many how many passes he's made, um, how much ground he's covered, what he had for breakfast. Um, you know, so that and, and I don't mean this as a jokey thing. This is something seriously that technology is coming along to apparently. Um, and, and I'm thinking there's already enough people in that ground taking selfies and filming the game. Um, and now is there going to be a whole lot more player people doing this thing with the phone? And without trying to label you two, you know, you're both relatively young, Will and Adam. But I can see Adam doing this, can't you? And stood in one one one, filming a play. Oh, Jack Grealish has covered one point three miles today, and somebody else saying, "Get that." He phoned down, Adam. I want to watch the game. I just wonder what you think, because it's obviously a bit of sort of Americanization that's creeping in. If this is if this is true, I think City have always been like that. Though we're always trying to do something different. They're always trying to get the crowd to engage more. And, and yeah, you're right. They're not aiming it towards the people in in the South Stand and, and the Kipaks. They're aiming it definitely more towards the North Stand and, and the. the the children, shall we say, I think it's for kids to be on the phone and to get engaged and to obviously sign up for some sort of data stealing app or whatnot. Um, yeah, it's, it's silly, but it's it's harmless, really, because the, the people who are going to do it are only the people who are going to be on the phone anyway. And I don't think there's much you can do to stop them. But as long as the sort of the main areas of, of, of the sort of singing and the liveliness, as long as... As long as I'm not doing it, I, I, certainly, I certainly interest. I agree with you on the, the point of as long as it doesn't bother me, um, it, then I, I'm not bothered either. However, there was one other little bit that I could add to it, which I was told, which was that um, that you'll be fans will be encouraged to clap and stamp and make lots of noise. And there will be a monitor within the app that recognises the level of volume of the crowd that is coming through the app. And if the level beats previous records or hits certain targets, all the phones who are active at that particular time in that area will get discount codes to spend on merchandise in the shop. So does that mean that the south stand that block the block block you're in, Adam, is all going to be going? Come on, let's bit louder, lads and or girls, and we'll, we'll get we'll get a discount in the shop. Is that something you could buy into? I think the uh, the loudest the, the loudest people like. People in the South Stand like us. We don't tend to go in the shop anyway. I don't think I've been in the shop since I was about 11 years old. So um, I, don't, I don't tend to buy any merchandise anyway. Um, so I don't, it wouldn't bother me. Um, I, I wouldn't be trying to get us louder to get some discount code. But I'm also improving the atmosphere. So if that was to help improving other stands where it's a bit quiet, shall we say, then I'd be quite happy with that. Um, in terms of the stats and the camera and all that, I hate people having the phone out near us. We always shout at people if we see the phone out. Um, but we're not in the touristy area, so there's not that many people who would do that anyway. But they always get a bit of abuse if someone's there filming away um, near us in, in our corner. But um, everyone should be able to enjoy the game in their own way as long as they're fully supporting the team. And when we're down and when we need the crowd, they need to be vocal. Uh, so if they want to be... You know, going through stats of how many metres someone's ran when there's a corner or when someone's injured, then go for it. But when we need you to be vocal, then they better be putting the phone down and getting involved, I think. Well, um, I don't think I'll be doing that because anybody that's listened to the podcast has known me over many years. Um, I'm not a great believer in stats. Occasionally, well, of course, and then there'll be an inevitable stat that will come out. You know, since you're on this great run at the moment, have gone so many matches without, you know, uh, losing at home, and soon they'll pass Sunderland's record from the 19th century. And those are quite quirky little stats. But I'd much rather watch a player, watch a team, 
and just judge. I mean, I don't know who had more possession at Chelsea yesterday, and I don't know whether Kyle Cole Palmer or Raheem Sterling um, was more creative or had more end results from passes and what the expected goals were. But I can make my own judgment on what I saw at the game and be quite confident in what I saw without having to read something on a, you know, on a phone saying, "Oh yeah, he was the best player." No, he wasn't. I think that player was. Anyway, um, we'll come to Ian at the end of this one to finish the podcast, but two-week break now, and then City resume with a home game against Liverpool. Um, obviously, there's a, a, a cup tie there, you know, the Leipzig game in the Champions League, but then home game against Tottenham, and then away game against Villa. Now, those are three of, arguably, the toughest games coming up now in the next three. Chelsea was the last one, and we saw what happened there. Um Will, what, what do you think is going to happen in the next three games, looking into your crystal ball? Well, my crystal ball it certainly didn't have 4-4 at Stamford Bridge, so uh, I think it's very hard to predict. Um, I'd like to think we can do it unbeaten. I think the past season has taught us to be confident about every game, really. I think you said at 4 in we've never gone out to get anything other than a win. Uh, so I think that's what we will do, but... Whether it comes through or not remains to be seen. Obviously, we don't know if somebody's going to have a bad game or, like we've seen recently, a crazy referee decision. So, uh, I think we have the better team out of all the teams that we're playing, but who knows on the day. Adam, are you confident going into the next, next three games? Um, I'd have been a lot more confident with Stones fit. And I'd have been a he lot more. Be back. He might be back by then. Yeah, he could be actually. Well, if he is back, then I'll, I'll be a lot more confident if he is back. I also would have been a lot more confident if we hadn't been so sloppy yesterday. But I think if we escape those three games with seven points, say, and one of those draws is against either Tottenham or Liverpool, then I'd be happy with that. I think we've got to get through those games, three really tough games in a row. Um, to get all nine, obviously, incredible. But yeah, I'd, I'd definitely take seven out of those. As long as we're there or thereabouts when it when the turn of the year comes um, and we hit, you know, February, then I'll be very, very happy. And I, I'd, I'd have taken being one point clear at the top of the league at the start of the season. You know, if someone said, oh, in November, you'll be one point clear going into this national break, I'd have taken it. Although, you know, now we're getting down to it. Like we could have been further. We could have been further. You're always that, that a bit more greedy. But I just think just stay in there make sure we're there or thereabouts and our experience will hopefully um, sort us out when it comes to the end of it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'd say seven out of nine, I'll be a happy man. Well, just before Ian gives us his thoughts, uh, thank you once again to AMR Development UK for sponsoring the podcast, which is uh, really appreciated. And one other thing that I just want to clarify is that uh, there will be an audio podcast next week on Sunday, but it won't be in the format that we normally do with uh, two members of the Forever Blue team and a former player or manager or whatever. It will be a slightly different format. Um, I've been out and about in the last couple of weeks um, chatting to various people, including, for example, Sue and Dave Wallace, uh, names that you might be familiar with if you're a long-time City fan. Uh, King of the Kipax is their fanzine, which started back in the 80s. And the last edition, the 300th edition, will be coming out, I believe, for the Liverpool game. So you'll be able to get it at the Liverpool game. But Sue and Dave are retiring and King of the Kipax is coming to a conclusion. And I went to their headquarters uh, which is basically their home and interviewed the two of them and a little bit behind the scenes so I'll be putting that up as a video on my YouTube channel where you find on my Match Day vlogs uh, and also they will be part of next week's podcast. I've also been chatting to Sam Dainty who is a fundraiser and one of the key people at City in the community we know the great work, some of the work, great work that they do, they have a new um, thing coming out where you can uh, buy a ticket and be in a draw and win top prizes. So as well as talking about that, he'll also talk about the work that City and the community do. So if you ever wondered exactly what they do do, then you'll find out as well in a special video that will go on my YouTube channel, but also as part of that podcast next week. And there's a, a, a man called uh, Ryan Foley, 
American who's written a new book about City. Might be something to put in your stocking for the festive period. Um, so he'll be joining me to tell me about his book as well. So three videos to go up on the YouTube channel, one podcast will encompass all of that, which will come out next week. And then the week after, after the Liverpool game, we'll be back with a, an audio podcast and uh, I was speaking to Mike McLean today, who's a one-time entertainer in City Square these days. He's well, he's always been a, a very good top comedian who's in Panto this year. Oh, yes, he is. Uh, and he will be joining us, hopefully, for that one, among other people. So um, we'll be back in two weeks doing the normal format again. So hope you'll stay with us and um, subscribe and, and share the word and get everybody to listen and to watch. So... With all that, Ian, over to you now to tell us your thoughts on the three games to come. Two weeks rest, we can all chill out, you can get rubbed down by your other half, and then suddenly we're into Liverpool, Tottenham and Villa. What are you expecting, Ian? I'm expecting nine points. How about that? Um, and I think the dark horse, I think the hardest game will be the Villa game, you know. Um, I don't think uh, Tottenham, they've got a few injuries, Um their squad isn't big enough, um, but so I, I, I'm confident against of beating Tottenham. I'm confident of, of beating Liverpool because it's a massive game, and the lads will just Pep will have them up for it. Uh, they'll know what they need to do, so I'm confident about that. It's 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 that Villa one out of all of them that I think will be the toughest game because they're they're a decent side um, that they'll set up well against us. Um, I think we'll break them down and we'll, we'll beat them. But I do think it'll be a tough game. And um, if my prediction is correct, I'll be a very happy man. Won't we all? Um, Ian Brightwell and to Will and to Adam, thanks very much for giving me your time tonight. Uh, I really, really appreciate it as always. And uh, as I say, you know what's coming up. So uh, have, a, have a nice week. But remember to check out, subscribe, ring the bell on the YouTube channel and to subscribe to the audio podcast. And uh, if you don't remember anything else from this podcast, if it just all goes out of your mind instantly, just remember this, this one thing. It's great to be a blue. <laughs>